Well, we are going to continue, I guess, in a new series. I was going to say continue, but Macy and I were not here last week. As you are aware, our dog was sick and puking um, a lot the whole day. We had the elders retreat last week, so I was unable to be at the house to help discern what was going on. And the dog was sick Friday, and then Saturday just puked all day, every hour it seemed like. So we made the decision once I got home from the elders retreat, we should probably make sure that the dog did not eat something crazy and have some kind of obstruction. And then by the time we got back, it was like 11.30. So we missed church, but I heard that church was um, good last week anyways. How many of you guys were here last week? Okay. If you were not here, like me, God still loves you. Amen. Amen. All right. I do have one other announcement. Um, the announcement is this. Our very own Olivia Skillings this week signed with Division Two. Mount Vernon Nazarene University to play basketball. So we're supposed to kick Olivia out in the Iowa. So Olivia, at least wave your hand. That's Olivia. Olivia is a Bible clubber. She is a all-state track athlete as well. So we're honored that um, she's also a regular attender here at Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship. So... And she wore, she wore a vest today, so she got the hint. <laughs> so Mark did too. Anyone else get the um, hint today? Mark. Oh, Barb got it too. Barb always gets it. She always gets the hint. All right. Well, either way, we are going to get into our series, The Christmas List, Reordering our priorities. So let's pray. Father, um, we thank you for today. Just so gracious, just so excited and thankful for just so many different people that you can bring together on one accord. It's just so unique that... Um, all of our lives can come together to worship you. So I thank you for that. I pray today that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, minds to comprehend, hearts with fertile soil, and feet that are willing to be obedient. Father, may we not just settle for the typical church experience, but may we truly seek you. May we truly um, walk out of here different. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so one of the interesting pieces about um, Christmas season is our priorities can be shifted. And really what I want us to understand today is that God calls people from all walks of life. Amen? As we go through this series, we are going to see the nativity scene and how it helps us understand how we should view our priorities as believers. Essentially, we will discuss some major areas in our life. So the priorities such as how to prioritize others, how to adjust our list of priorities, 
And we should be rethinking how we spend our time. The nativity scene proves to us that God is calling people of different kinds of walks. So as we begin to get into the Christmas season, as believers, we should understand what the reason for the season is. And we understand that in here today. We understand that the reason for the season is the celebration of the birth of our Savior, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? That's the reason for the season. Yet, though the season is about Jesus, it can be really easy for our priorities to become convoluted. Most of us during this season, our focus is about giving or receiving some kind of gift. Some of us, or most of us during this season, our focus becomes about preparing meals or going to family meals, right? Others of us during this season, our focus can be about enjoying or avoiding family. How many of you guys are avoiding family this Christmas season? Come on, somebody. You know I'm preaching truth when I make it plain like that. We're not going to keep anything from you. Some of us enjoy and some avoid. Christmas season, or Christmas is a season where many people are thinking about how they can bless others rather than how they can bless themselves. And we do this often by gifts, wanting to provide people meals, which isn't a bad thing, right? But we often have eyes outward during holiday seasons. And the problem is, this kind of attitude isn't the norm for all believers. This is the type of attitude that can be seasonal. We should have eyes outward no matter what season it is. We should prioritize others like this because we don't know how God is using us to draw people to him. And as we get into the nativity scene, what we're going to see is how God was drawing unlikely people. So God calls people from all walks. I want to look at a couple different groups that were a part of the nativity scene. A couple different groups that God was drawing to seek him and to encounter his son and the first group that I want to look at are the Magi. Now, the Magi, or maybe in your Bible, they're called the wise men. Just, I do want to share one thing about them, is the wise men, there were not three of them, right? Maybe there were two of them. Maybe there were a thousand of them. The reason why we think that there were only three wise men is because there were three gifts, right? So maybe there were more, maybe there were not. But we can't just sit there and think of the Christmas story and there only being three wise men. Either way, the Magi. The Magi or wise men uh, were interesting people. These men were educated and they were from the East. Now, some theologians disagree with their exact purpose. Yet generally speaking, most would agree what the wise men or the magi were. Now, the magi were some people that really enjoyed science 
any science lovers in here. They just absolutely loved science. But many believe that their religion was Zoroastrianism. Now, Zoroastrianism was the practice of good thought and good deeds. So these uh, wise men, just because they were in the Bible, didn't mean that they were um, Christian perspective believers, right? Many think that they were just good thought and good feeling people. During their time, science and God didn't oppose one another. Wouldn't that be fun? Nowadays, science and God have to oppose one another. And I just absolutely disagree with that. Either way, during their time, you didn't have to choose one. You didn't have to choose a side because science was often there to prove God's existence. So the discoveries that they would make, they would then say, here's what the Bible says, and then they would prove God's existence. Now, some theologians suggest that these magi were educated men who would often reduce what they learned to find God. Yet these magi, they were obsessed with the stars. And there was a belief amongst them that there was a true correlation with the alignment of the universe and the stars and how God moved. Now, um, essentially what that would mean is that what happened in the sky would happen on earth. That's what they believed. Now, to be clear, explicitly clear, God does not move by the stars. Amen? Astrology and the like, horoscopes, tarot card reading, uh, Ouija boards, whatever else, right? Those are all from the pits of hell. So these magi, they were obsessed with astrology. Um, nevertheless, I would say this. Sometimes God moves through our interest to draw us to him. And that's what we're going to see in this story is these magis are drawn. God uses something that they were obsessed with to draw, draw um, them to him. Either way, they were also known for their dream interpretations, study of the stars. They were also known for magic and sometimes known uh, for, for their knowledge of the future. And because of this, the wise men or magi would often be hired by kings the kings wanted this foreknowledge. This, these kings wanted this power. So they would often be um, on the payroll. Now, hopefully, this will give you a better idea of who the Magi were. I think it could be easy for us to think that those who were a part of the Christmas story were long believers and long followers of the Messiah. But there's a case to be made that within the Christmas story, the Magi and the wise men do not fit that. Remember, today's big idea is that God calls people from every walk of life. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew chapter 2. If not, it will be on the screen. Matthew 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi 
from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So these magi, in their investigation, would have traveled bare minimum 800 miles. Many theologians have suggested that the, their journey from the east was over 1,600 miles. But let's just say it was 800 miles to Jerusalem. So on a camel, right, if they're traveling on camel, and you just average, because you still have to sleep, two miles an hour. This 800-mile journey would have been 40 days. Now, maybe they average, maybe they got some purebred, really strong Mustang camels. <laughs> and maybe they can travel at four miles an hour. So you have a 40-day journey at two miles an hour or a 20-day journey at four miles an hour, let alone when they get flat tires or sick or whatever else goes wrong, right? Imagine telling your spouse about this trip. Hey, Macy, I'm a, you know I'm a magi, and I love what's going on in the sky, and I'm telling you, this, this is the theory that's going to get us rich. And then you throw in there, just imagine, babe, once I prove this right, once I prove this right, you can have all the dogs that you want. We can have the finest linen, a big old dog shelter. You can retire and I can retire. But I have to travel for 20 to 40 days just to hope to go find it. This one is it, Macy. I'm telling you. You know what she's going to say? Here you are again following another star. But this time, 800 to 1,600 miles, Joey, you're crazy. What about, what about, what about? These magi are investigating. And I'm not sure that their spouses and their families would have loved the idea. But what ends up happening is they make this journey. And as they make this journey, they landed in Jerusalem. And this isn't where Jesus was to be born, according to Scripture. They ended up in the wrong place. Sounds about like the journey that uh, us as men would take, right? Macy would say, the Scriptures say in Bethlehem, and you're going to Jerusalem. The king of the Jews would not be born in Jerusalem. But while they landed in Jerusalem, what ends up happening is this. Is they ended up disturbing King Herod. Now, you didn't want to disturb someone like King Herod. But on their journey, that's what they did. Verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Verse 5, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, 
for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least amongst the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi secretly out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. It's interesting that um, kids in the womb have been attacked since the beginning of time. Even today, kids in the womb are being attacked. Imagine if there was no Billy Graham. Imagine if there was no Lyndon Good, Richard Showalter. Imagine if there was no whoever, right? Kids are being attacked in the womb today. And God is still creating world changers and people that he loves. Amen? So we see that Herod and the spirit of the Antichrist was attacking babies because he wanted to kill someone who was going to transform the world. Either way, so what does Herod do? He tries to play Mr. Manipulative Nice Guy. Herod says, hey, Magi, go find the king. Go find him. Because when you find him, I love to go worship him with you. How gullible or did he think that these Magi were, right? Go find him and let me know so that I can join you. Obviously, he didn't want to go worship the king. What Herod wanted to do is Herod wanted to kill the king. Why? Because Herod believed that he was the only true king. Either way, verse 9, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen uh, when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over a place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then... They opened their treasure and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having, warned, having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So these magi, the king put pressure on them. And when he put pressure on them, that meant that if they didn't follow what he said, their lives were on the line. But they were overjoyed when they met the king of kings. And when they met him, their life was transformed in such a way that they wanted to obey what God said rather than what the king said. And I think that applies to you and I today too. When we follow Jesus, our heart is to follow him rather than what the kings of the earth say. Amen? Either way, there are two things that I want us to see from the Magi today. There's... Numerous that we could talk about, but there's two. The first thing that I want us to see is this, is the Magi, they found Jesus 
because they were seeking him. Are you a seeker today? These magi who collectively were not known for being believers, remember, um, they were followers of good thought, Astrianism. So essentially what, what they believed is good thought and good feelings. That was their belief. So now, what are they? They're seeking out something different. These magi who collectively were not known for being believers had an open mind. They wanted truth. They were seekers. They came seeking to find the king of the Jews. Likewise, during the Christmas season, during every season of our life, our goal shouldn't be about giving material gifts. Our goal shouldn't be about seeking the world's approval. Rather, our goal should be seeking the king of kings at all costs. So I ask you today, did you come to church seeking the king of kings? Did you come to small group this week seeking the king of kings? When you, if you wake up tomorrow, is your goal to seek the king of kings? See, Jesus was found because he was sought. Jeremiah 29, 13 says this, you seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. You seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Proverbs 8, 17 says this, I love those who love me and those who will diligently seek me will find me. Here's what I wonder. Um, over this past season, you know, maybe a little bit pre-COVID, but certainly post-COVID, just in prayer, just in trying to lead uh, church, trying to lead elders, trying to lead myself, I just constantly feel God calling me to more. And this more that God's calling me to often feels unobtainable, right? And it feels unobtainable sometimes because I become busy with organizing this or scheduling that or feeling like I don't have time to be in his presence because of whatever. And you know what's weird? Is sometimes even the very things that I'm busy with that are godly keep me from him. Because a lot of the things that I'm busy with can sometimes be uh, organizing and planning sermons. Sometimes I can be studying scripture and my heart be thinking about Ohio State football or the meal that I want to eat again even though I just ate 10 minutes ago. Anyone else have that problem? Those who seek me will find me when they seek me with their whole heart. And this more that God is calling us to, this new thing that I believe that God is calling us to, means that we become people who enjoy forsaking all else to find him. Because I ask you the rhetorical question, and maybe over the next coming weeks and months, the literal question, isn't there more to, isn't there more to God than what we've been experiencing currently? Isn't there, more isn't there more experience and goodness and 
grace and mercy and power and healing and deliverance than what we've been experiencing as individuals and as a congregation. So you're telling me, rhetorically, right? You're telling me that, that the creator of the universe, of everything, the fullness of him is in us, but this is it. And here's what I know is he's not the problem. Come on, somebody. He is not the problem. And I'm not pointing like putting thumb downs on people. I'm talking to myself. I've been preaching to myself that there's more than what I've been experiencing because I have not been seeking him full-heartedly. I've deceived myself to think that daily devotion means I'm seeking his presence. And I think where the devil wants to deceive us the most is the devil wants to, de- wants to deceive us in thinking that we can read the Bible. The devil wants to deceive us to think that our daily devotion is good enough, but it never transforms us. So then we proverbially check off, I went to church this week. I went to small group this week. I read my devotions this week. I read my Bible today. But what good is doing all those things if we don't have the transformative power? And I just know that God is inviting us as a congregation into experiencing his power, his renewal that the Bible talks about. But what that, where that happens is when we become seekers of him first. These magi were seeking him. They were seeking to find the Savior with their whole heart. Psalm 34.10 says this, The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord will not lack no good thing. 2 Chronicles 12.14, He did evil because he had not set his heart on seeking the Lord. So these magi, they were seeking him with everything. And if we want to have true transformation in our life, true transformation, because we all have our struggles today that, that we're thinking about, that we deal with, that we're worried about once we leave church today, this struggle is going to come up, maybe a fit of rage, maybe lust, maybe um, lying, maybe gossip, right? Maybe complacency. We all have these things that we're dealing with. And we all, in our fleshly bodies, make attempts. And in our fleshly bodies, when we make attempts, what do we do? We fail. And we fail, and we fail, and we fail. And what we learned over the past few months about grace is grace empowers us so that we fail far less. So that we have this transformative power within our life. So if we want to have true transformation in our life, True. Because I don't want, who wants to play church? You guys are not here today because you want to play church. Amen? We do not want to play church. But sometimes we just unintentionally play church. We got to be shaken up. We got to be stirred up, right? We got to be hard pressed. And a lot of us have been hard pressed during this season. So now what comes out, hopefully it's seeking him. I want true transformation. I don't. Who wants to live a powerless life? I don't. Who wants to lead a powerless church? I don't. 
Either way, we must become seekers, seekers of Jesus. And far too often and far too easily, we become seekers of things rather than seekers of him. We become seekers during this season of giving people and kids and friends and family members gifts, nice things, because we want them to smile and be happy. We seek making man happy or woman happy rather than seeking to make him happy. So the question is, okay, I understand. I need to seek him. Well, Joey, how do I seek him? How do I seek God? What should I do during this season to seek him? That alone could be another series. But in a short way, uh, you pray in a personal way. If you want to seek him, you must pray in a personal way. You have a relationship with people. Uh, I saw Chris the other day. He was walking into uh, Berg Nutrition. And while he was walking in there, Mark and I were talking. And the first thing I said to him, I'm like, hey, bro, what's your middle name? He's like, you want my social security card number too? <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> Christopher John. Relation, like, Macy and I call him Chris P. Bacon. <laughs> if you know, you know. Go search the video. But for me to become friends with Chris more and better, then you just have to know different things about him. And the only way that you know different things about him is you take risks to ask random questions, funny things. And that's what I did. Likewise, when it comes to God, I, very first of all, the, the beginning of all wisdom is the fear of the Lord. If you don't believe that, then you don't believe Scripture. So what, the, what that's saying is, to know God really well, we have to fear Him. And to fear Him, that means that there's this reverence before Him. There has to be reverence before Him. God, you are bigger and stronger and more powerful. I have nothing to give you. So there has to be a reverence. But we have to personally know Him. I remember, many of you have heard, I remember walking to school, I don't know, 5th, 6th, 7th grade, 8th grade. Maybe I'm at the age now where I can say my parents used to make me walk in three feet of snow carrying all 16 books while the blizzard was coming, right? So while I'm walking and, and I was wearing shorts and whatever else, right, while carrying the 13 buckets after walking 18 18 miles to feed my animals. So we've all been there, right? But I remember walking to school. And while I was walking to school, and I'd uh, be on, um, what was that? Uh, Race Street. I'd be passing Race Street over Race Street. And I remember one day specifically talking to God, and I said, hey, God, I've been hearing at church that I need to have a relationship with you. And I know that some of my friends, the way that I have relationships with them is I play video games with them. I play football with them. I play pass with them. I talk to them. You call them on the phone and you talk to them. And um, so today, I just want to talk to you. I don't want to ask you for anything. I just want to talk to you. So I'm walking to school. 
And while I'm walking to school, here's what's going on. And um, there's a better than that chance I'm going to cheat on my math homework. So this is pre-forgiveness, right? <laughs> just This is pre-forgiving. Like, I'm not even going to lie to you. I'm just going to make it plain. And then I'd ask God, I'd say, God, how are you doing? God, what are you up to today? And I remember when uh, growing up, I was so afraid of thunderstorms that um, when a thunderstorm would come through and parents aren't home and you're the only one home alone or whatever and the siren in Mechanicsburg's going off, I think that's why I'm afraid of thunderstorms because every time a tornado warning or something would happen, the apocalypse sign or the, the big horn that Jesus is returning would go off. And I'm like, of course, like, of course I'm afraid of thunderstorms. This siren is demonic. So the siren would go off. I'm home alone. And what I would do is I would go into the laundry room and I would put my back up against the washer and dryer. And I'd just cry out to God, God, I am afraid. I'm scared. Will you please make this thunderstorm go away? And I would talk to him. And then he would comfort me. So for us to become seekers, for us to walk in his presence, we have to wipe clean this idea that all we have to do is liturgically pray prayers to him or liturgically read scriptures. Jesus died on the cross because he wanted to have a personal relationship with you. And the way that he created us is he created us in his image. And when he created us in his image, what that means is that doesn't mean that we are gods. That is a false teaching. What that means is he created us in his likeness to have relationships with people. We have bodies. We have emotions. We have feelings. We care about things. We get to have a relationship with him. And I just think during this next season is this is the, the new thing that God is calling us to, this deep thing, this exciting thing, is when we step into a relationship with him at a personal level. And I just challenge you guys today as seekers of him to just ask God how he's doing. God, how are you doing? What are you up to? Hey, God, today, Macy and my plan is to go out to a Chinese buffet. Anyone else want to go to a Chinese buffet with us? All right. We'll give you more information after church. Because there's debates which ones we're going to go to. <laughs> I am not buying. <laughs> but by faith, won't he do it? <laughs> yeah. You invite him into a relationship. So you become a seeker by praying in a personal way. God, how is your day going? God, here's how my day went. Tell him how work was. Tell him how school was. Tell him things that you're excited about. Like, you know, when I talked to Macy, I talked to her about track, and I talked to her about church things, and I talked to her about small group things, and I talked to her about fantasy football or the latest cup of coffee that I really enjoyed. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't you talk to God about those things? God wants to have a relationship with you. Talk to God about the things of your life today. Become a friend of his. 
Become a child of his. Ask him about things that you don't need fixed in your life. Because a lot of us, the way that we seek him is we seek him as a genie rather than a friend. We seek him as a genie rather than a father. God, fix the world. God, fix the government. God, fix my sickness. God, fix my money. God, fix my sin. That's a genie. But when I talk to him about, hey, God, you know, I just, I love this person so much. And my heart is broken for this person. Just talk to him about it, right? Pursue him relationally. So we seek God by praying and talking to him in a personal way. We seek God by worshiping him. Now, worshiping him is different than what we just think, right? Worshiping him is not coming on a Sunday morning and just singing a songs. That is an act of worship. That is an act of praise. But worshiping him according to scripture Our true worship is offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. That's what our true act of worship is. So we seek him, we become true seekers of him as we offer our bodies as a living living sacrifice, holy and pleasing. Find ways throughout your day to submit to him, to magnify his holiness. Of course, turn on your Air One, your K-Love, your YouTube Music or Spotify while you're in the car. That can be an act of worship as well. But that's not only what worship is. Worship is submitting to him in everything that we do. The next thing that we can do to seek him, right, as we become seekers of him, is to study. Get to know who he is through the daily study and seeking of him in his word. Seek him in his word. Because those who seek me will find me when they seek me with their whole heart. So point number one about the Magi is they found Jesus because they were seeking him. So I ask you today, rhetorically speaking, there's been seasons in my life as a leader There's been seasons of my life as a churchgoer that my experience and my freshness with God has not been full. We've all probably been there, right? Maybe, maybe there's some of us even in here today who say, my church experience is not full. If if we had this and if we had that and if we had this and if only, and we start pointing the finger at all the wrong things, I think this is that if we become people who connect with him on a personal way, if we become people who worship him, and if we become people who study, our church experience and the freshness of our walk will be rejuvenated in a way that we can't ever imagine. Amen? Because what often happens is it's really easy to point the finger at something that's right in front of us rather than something that's deep within us. Moving on, point number two. During this season, we must be aware and ready to point the seekers towards Jesus. We must be ready for 
the seekers. As believers, it's paramount that we get our priorities right because there are always seekers around us that God wants us to minister to. There's always seekers. This means that we must be more prepared to share our faith than we are Christmas Day gifts or Christmas Day dinner. Uh, the more that, um, I don't know what God's doing, but as of the past season, I've been learning more about different religions. And what I learn about different religions is a lot of people in different religions are really studied and understand their faith. They are super studied in their faith. And then it seems like in Christianity, we know John 3.16. We know Philippians 4.13, right? And then from there, none of us feel prepared. None of us feel ready. Very few of us feel like we have what it takes to share the gospel with a random person on the street. And how convicting is it for me to then see, insert this religion and this religion and this religion and that religion be willing to defend their faith? Can we defend our faith today? Now, this isn't like... I want this to be encouraging to us, right? I don't want this to be like, oh, Joey's making me feel bad about myself. I just, I'm not a good Christian. I don't study my Bible. I don't offer my body as a living sacrifice. I only look at God as a genie. No, let me stir you up and say, when we do those things, your life and the peace and the fulfillment, you can't even imagine how good life will be when you seek him with everything that you have. But as believers... We must be ready for the seekers. First Peter 3.15 says this, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So when seekers during the season come, we must be able to give an answer for the reason for our faith. And here's what ends up happening. Again, we compare ourselves to the world, and we're like, well, my friends at work, they didn't go to church this week, and my friends at work, they don't consider themselves Christians. So I get to pat myself on the back because I'm elevated above them. But when we compare ourselves to him, we should become bankrupt. And when we are bankrupt, then what that means is, I need to study more. I want to study more. Why would you not want to know about the creator of the universe? Because what's exciting for me is um, if uh, Urban Meyer or LeBron James, and I know like some of you don't like Urban or LeBron or whoever your favorite, if Donald Trump walked in here, how about that? How about that? If Donald Trump walked in here, or he was in the commons right now, how many of you guys would be obsessed over the thought that insert your hero is in the commons, opposed to the presence of God being here right now? I want to be a person that, if Barry Sanders, my child idol, If he walked in the commons, I'd care less about it. 
Why? Because I want to be in the presence of God. I want to be a seeker of him. So why would we not Barry Sanders, God, right? Just infinity. So why is it that we put such this priority on wanting to meet with people, like meaning idols, or pursuing worldly passions, when the creator of everything is just sitting, the creator of everything, God today, Jesus Christ, you know what he's doing today? He's waiting for us individually and us corporately just to say, I accept your invitation. I open up the door. You have all access to me. The far greater wants to walk in a relationship with us today. So why would we not want to seek out and learn about that far greater? And the more that we seek out that far greater, the more that we become ready in season and out of season to give a reason for our faith. Matthew 9, 35 through 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. What this is telling us is there's seekers amongst us. There's, there's magi today. There's people who, like the magi, are seeking out the sun. So the harvest is plentiful. These seekers are the harvest. But the workers are few. The laborers are few. As believers, we are the laborers. We are the workers. We must be ready to share the good news of Jesus with them. When the seekers come, when the magi come, when the wise men come, when we encounter them at work, when we encounter them at school, when we encounter them at church, we must be ready in season and out of season to share with them. See, these pagan astrologers came from a far distance to worship a king. They came seeking out a king. And I just wonder, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. God, we have to be aware of the seekers. We have to be aware of the seekers at our workplace, in our neighborhoods. Amen? But yet there was another group. There wasn't just the magi or the wise men. And we have a lot of wise men in here today too, don't we? I look out here at this church and I say, we got a bunch of wise men. How do you feel about that, ladies? It's kind of quiet. <laughs> then we had the shepherds. There's this other group who came to see Jesus. And this other group was shepherds. And the shepherds were tending their flock. Luke 2, 8 through 11. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flock 
at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So the Magi and now the shepherds. These shepherds went to find Mary, Joseph, and the baby Jesus. Now the interesting thing about these shepherds is this, is they were working men. They were farm boys. Carhartts and Wolverine boots, belt buckles, hard workers. The night that they visited Jesus wasn't a planned evening. They weren't showered. They weren't prepared. This wasn't on their schedule. What did they do? In their stench, no deodorant. However they were, they got up to go worship the king. They were most likely in their working clothes, having not showered. They were hard workers, and they were willing to be inconvenienced by God. That'll preach. They were hard workers, but yet they were willing to be inconvenienced by God. They were certainly in the middle of something, protecting the flock. And if not protecting the flock, they were getting ready for bed. If they weren't getting ready for bed, they were watching over the flock again. Whatever their priority was in that moment paled in comparison to the invitation that God had for them that evening. The shepherds were seekers. From the standpoint of this, they were down for God to show up whenever, however, and they were going to be obedient. And then when God showed up, they dropped everything. In the West, God often gets added to our plans rather than him being the plan. If that was our story today, if that was your story today, how would it go? Because what we often say is we... we we set these plans in our life, in our days. And then if God tries to move during that period, we say, after this time. Right? Anyone ever been there? Of course you have. We've all been there. But these shepherds were in the middle of their evening, in the middle of their routine, and they were willing to be um, inconvenienced. Whatever their priority was paled in comparison. Yeah, so in the West, God often gets added to our plans rather than being the plan. True seekers make him the priority. Can we be shepherds and make him the priority? Matthew 6.33 says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added unto you. We're so afraid of losing these things. Maybe it's our health or our wealth or our time. 
or our house or our popularity. We're so worried about... I think mostly what we're afraid of losing is just the emotional and mental space capacity in our brain to do just another thing. In the West, as people, we're so busy up here. Our mind is so busy with the next thing and planning into the future. And, and it's like you, uh, you have the gumball machine and you check one thing off and you get the gumball, but guess what? Another one just falls into place. You get the house renovation done. And you're like, just once I get this carpet done, then I'll have peace. But then the dog gets sick. And then the dog gets better. And then now you're stressing out about the vacation you have to plan. And then the vacation comes. And then you stub your toe. And then your toe gets better. And then COVID happens. And then COVID happens. And everyone's dividing. And then you get past COVID. And then now no one trusts the media. And it's just like thing after thing after thing after thing after thing always happens. And we're always so busy trying to add the things to our life. Anyone in here trying to add things to their life? Because what we're trying to do is we're trying to check off these things check them off so that then we can have this mental space that then we say, proverbially speaking, God, once I check this off, then I can give you everything that I have. If I just didn't have this, then I could worship you. And what seekers do, what the shepherds did, what the Bible's trying to tell us is this, is when God showed up, when God showed up, the shepherds followed. Amen? Amen? And what the New Testament tells us in the book of Matthew is to seek him first. Seek him first and his righteousness. Then everything that we need, the mental space, the brain fog, the clarity, the peace, the contentment, the joy, the hope, all of those things that we're seeking out will be found in him. If, if we do what? Seek him first. Seek him first. And I think what, um, what we individually have to do is we have to say, have I given the Bible a fair shot in doing what it says? Because sometimes we get mad at God and sometimes we become disappointed in our walk with Christ because we think that we're doing what the Bible actually says. Now, I'm not saying we become perfect. I'm not saying we follow it perfectly. But something as simple as seeking him first. There's many of us who are seeking him last and then getting mad at him because life stinks. So my challenge is, will you seek him first this week? Seek him first. Become thankful. Have some gratitude. So who came to worship the Messiah? Pagan outsiders people who studied the stars and science and they sought him from miles away. Not only pagan outsiders, but shepherds who were dirty from tending their flocks. Who had a piece of straw or corn in their mouth, right? Who haven't brushed their teeth yet. 
They came to worship him. They were seeking him. So one reason why we should be, uh, why we shouldn't be centered on others during this season is because he's here for us. He wants us to know him. But one reason why we should be centered on others during this season is we don't know who God is working on. We don't know how God wants to use us to reveal himself. Maybe it's the least it's the least likely person that God uses um, to speak to someone, right? We're all the least likely people. So beyond showing love to others, we must see the bigger picture during this season. And the bigger picture is this, is God is moving in people's lives to have a relationship with them. Those who are worldly, studying science, stars, and those who are tending to a flock, God is calling different groups of people. So as believers, we must be mindful of how God is drawing those from all walks of life towards him during this season. And for us to capitalize on what God is doing, we must seek him first. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I pray for your power and your spirit to increase in us this week. That we just have a conversation with you. For some of us, it may feel weird, but that's a good thing. Father, because when we seek you, we will find you when we seek you with our whole heart. Father, I just pray a blessing from every age, from one day old in this congregation to the oldest person, Father that as we just draw near to you a little bit, that you will be found. Father, we love you. We need you. I pray that we would confess to you and we would repent of those areas where we have sought other things above you. Father, we get to live with you for eternity, not just 80 years, but for eternity. So give us hearts to prioritize eternity today. So help us get rid of everything that keeps us from loving you. In Jesus' name, amen.